Dianmai is to come at the meridian as you approach a canvas like a painter. So you're going to dot that energetic flow in a very precise and gentle and even artistic manner. It's not about, it, the verb itself is not about blunt striking. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological, the podcast that connects the voices of our East Asian medicine community. I hear a lot from all kinds of practitioners these days, people that have been at it for a while, newer practitioners. You know, a lot of times the newer practitioners, they always say things like, oh, I'm just a newbie. Eh, you know, it takes 10 or 20 years to get good at this stuff and to be a good practitioner. And it's so hard to become a good practitioner. You know, I suspect it actually takes time to get good at anything. And when it comes to doing Chinese medicine, we actually create a lot of trouble when we hold ourselves hostage to, air quotes here, getting it right. Now, I'm not suggesting that we be careless in our work. I'm far from it. At the same time, I think it's easy to freeze up when all we can focus on is, did I do it right? What will my patients say if I can't help them in a single treatment? And those thoughts like, how am I comparing myself with that clinic down the street? Or am I trying to please my teachers, even though they're just echoes in my head? And has this happened to you in clinic where you're thinking those idiots when my patients tell stories of the other practitioners who didn't get it right? Probably not so helpful for yourself either when you think about that. How comfortable are you? with recognizing that you don't completely understand a situation, but willing enough to risk the commitment to a clear course of treatment so you have the opportunity to learn from the results. I suspect there's a lot of getting it wrong on the way to getting it right. I don't think it's so much about the time that you put in. After all, you can do something 10,000 times. It doesn't guarantee any kind of success, especially if you're making the same mistakes over and over again. And you might find it helpful to consider the qualities of what you consider a good practitioner to be. Who are they in clinic or in their daily life? And how do they approach problems anyway? How do they feel about and work with money? And what do they do when they don't know what to do? My guess is that the good practitioner of our imagination at the beginning may not look much like the kind of practitioner that we actually grow into. There are usually some surprises along the way. There's the small things that make a big difference. There's the big things that turn out not to be so insurmountable. Mostly, I suspect that things just take time. And it helps to be able to move at the pace of nature as we slowly unfold more experience in our clinic. And that we bring our attentiveness and our willingness to allow our patients and our experience to teach us that we do our level best in the moment that we find ourselves in and perhaps be less concerned with getting it right and more attentive to gently noticing when we miss the mark and see how that changes the way we approach our work in the future. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. 
Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of the solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash Geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Pumsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app slash switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code Geological at the time of sign up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. On to a discussion with Jonathan Bluestein. Today, we're going to be talking about the martial use of acupuncture points. Yeah, those things that we usually use for healing. Those things you can do to mess people up as well. And we're going to take a look at some of those. But more importantly, 
And one of the things that I found really interesting about this conversation is looking at some of the ways that the body and the meridians are put together. Stuff that we already know from a medical perspective, it's kind of interesting hearing about it from the Marshall side of things. So as ever, thanks for listening. And you know I love those postcards. My guest today is Jonathan Bluestein. If you're a listener of Everyday Acupuncture Podcast, you heard him on show number 82. We were talking about the martial arts and we took a hard left turn into Jungian psychology and how it matches up with the Bagua. That was a really fascinating conversation. If you didn't, if you haven't listened to it, you might want to check it out. Today, we're going to get more technical and deep and geeky into acupuncture points. And acupuncture points, not just from the medical point of view, but from the martial point of view. I don't know about you guys, but I find that I've got a lot of usually young men and they like to ask the question, hey, is there a point where you can press someone and paralyze them like you know I saw in that Gong Fu movie? And my thoughts always been, well, I don't know. So I got Jonathan here. We're going to get into this stuff. Jonathan, welcome to Geological. Hey, um, it's just a, an honor to be here for the second time. I greatly, immensely enjoyed our first interaction on everyday acupuncture, and I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah, me too. That was fun. That that last conversation, I thought we were just going to talk about martial arts and internal cultivation, and man, we, it quickly went into the Bagua and Jungian psychology, and, and holy smokes, that was uh, a really fun rabbit hole. Yes, yeah, I'm really fascinating stuff. You owe it to yourself to check that one out. <laughs> yeah, let's plug that show. Good. So, you know, like I was just saying, I don't know if you get the question over there. I mean, you're not a, well, I mean, you're a martial artist, so maybe you do get the question, but I know that on occasion, you know, I do hear from younger people, usually men, never had a woman ask me about, uh, <laughs> you know, the, <laughs> for some reason. Maybe they know their own points and men. Yeah, yeah, they they already do some gong fu, man. So, looking at the martial use of acupuncture points, I mean that's that's actually a really interesting thing, and I don't know really anything about that. So, I'm curious to know if in the martial arts traditions there is a particular study of what we call the acupuncture points, share away, and in a martial perspective or a martial use of these points that we generally use for healing? Yes, there is. Uh, and the way we should actually describe it is the science that traditional Chinese martial arts, and we'd be strictly talking about traditional Chinese martial arts because this is what I practice and teach. The science of using acupuncture points comes from the science of the Chinese people, which is Chinese philosophy and Chinese medicine. This is the traditional science that the Chinese people had developed to deal with their own daily lives. So in the West, if we're talking about uh, Western martial arts, be they traditional or modern, they would be using tech, uh, terminology that stems from Western anatomy, you know, that came down from the Renaissance and the Industrial Revolution and modern times. So they would be talking about uh, nerve plexus, this or that, and the bodyless systems as they are taught in Western medical school. However, in traditional Chinese martial arts, what kind of science did they have to explain how the body works? Well, they didn't have Western anatomy and they did not have 
ocean biology or chemistry, they explained everything in terms of Chinese philosophy and traditional Chinese medicine. So these are the tools they had. And provided that uh, martial arts originally across the world were always first and foremost means to hurt other people, then people were interested in the science of how to make it work. And of course, after the, the done beating each other in very simplistic ways, over time, they pass on these traditions to their sons and grandchildren, grand-grandchildren. And along the way, people develop these martial arts into some more sophisticated vehicles for delivering violence. But not just violence, of course, because in traditional Chinese martial arts, once more, if taught traditionally, it's a whole universe. It's, it's far more than violence. It's also about self-cultivation and um, medicine, both healing yourself and other people. It's about psychology of yourself and other people and sociology, the way we interact with each other, etc., etc. So it's nowadays traditional Chinese martial arts for the past few hundred years have developed to be far more than vehicles for delivering violence. But originally, that's, that's the intention. I mean, that's what they're interested in. So we, we should never forget this. The art is like, is like a hammer, you know. When you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail, but it depends on which nail you're pointing your hammer at. You, you could be thinking that the other guy's forehead is a nail, and you can also be using that hammer to build a house or to help someone, you know, repair his shed after a storm. So it depends on you how you use your art and cultivate it. That depends on the teacher, how he teaches his, his students and what he tells them that the art can be used for. So as for the points, many people think that it's a, it's a simple matter. You know, you just, you have the location of a point, and you strike it and something magical happens. But it's a bit more complicated than that. So generally speaking, in martial arts, okay, we use the, the, the acupuncture points from traditional Chinese medicine and the meridians in three different ways. We can use them for martial purposes. That's generally called dianmai or dimak in, in Cantonese. Many people are familiar with the term dimak. And we can use them for healing uh, as, a, as a form of qigong. Because we, when we're talking about the points and the meridians in the martial arts, we're not using needles. We're not commonly using massage because it's, it's a martial practice. We might use the massage after practice, but the, during the actual martial practice. Or we might use them to guide movement and alignment. Now, we're going to touch upon all three of these, of these things, Dian Mai and Qigong, and using the points and the meridians as reference points for movement and alignment. And I just want to touch about the, the name, Dian Mai. Mm -hmm. Dianmai, it, it, it uh, evokes a very specific type of um, action in the mind of a Chinese person. Because Dian is the very... So, so, which, so which, which yang is this? Yang Mai, no, what, what yang no, is this? Dian, Dianmai. Dianmai. Dian. Dian yeah, Dian. Dian, okay. Dian. So to Dian is, is the verb for to dot. But it's not just to, to dot, to put a dot like you, you put ah. with, uh, with a pen. It's the type of dot where you very carefully approach a canvas, maybe atop a wall, and yet just very gently place that perfect dot in the perfect spot. And it's a very gentle and precise type of movement 
that's what this verb is talking about. And my in that in this um, in this respect is simply a, a meridian. Right. So a meridian being, of course, the um, the connective river between the points. So to Dianmai is to come at the meridian as you approach a canvas like a painter. So you're going to dot that energetic flow in a very precise and gentle, even artistic manner. It's not about, it, the verb itself is not about blunt striking. It's not very overt, rather it's very, when you think about, about the verb itself, you already are trying to orient your fingers to be very precise. So it's a fascinating thing in the Chinese language and in many other languages, the use of very specific words and verbs to evoke um, a description that makes you move or think in a certain way. And that's a very good example. It's a great example. And it's fascinating how these Chinese words, these Chinese uh, characters, the concepts behind them, when you start to open your mind into it, it literally will change your perception and it will change how you interact with things. And I'm thinking this idea of, of uh, Dianmai, it, I mean, this is how a person doing acupuncture approaches doing acupuncture. I mean, if we're really doing acupuncture, we're coming at it with a similar kind of intent and a similar sense of interaction. And you hold the needle like you hold a fierce tiger, right? You, it, it has to be very, you, you have to, really, I, I don't know how to really describe this in terms of how they teach uh, TCM practitioners. Maybe you'd give, give a better description here. Well, I mean, there's everything from the basic mechanics of how you hold a needle and, and you stick it into meat to being able to pay attention to what's at the tip of the needle, being able to pay attention to what's structures the needle's going through, to being able to pay attention to what's the feeling that comes through the needle. I mean, there's a, I would say there is a whole spectrum of things that we're paying attention to. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Mm -hmm. And and there's the concept of dirty. And oh yeah. Yeah, and, and to to achieve dirty, you need the correct yi. You need the correct intention. Now this correlates with the martial arts as well. In the internal Chinese martial arts, there is also this concept of yi. And you could say that you receive the dirty of rather than the needle or the chi coming through the needle, you receive it from the opponent. So maybe you receive the, um, the feeling of how the opponent is rooted. This is a form of dirty, actually, of the entire body of the opponent as he is being rooted or unrooted, balanced or unbalanced. And you achieve this if you correctly, in your training, use the correct intention, the correct yi. So the yi, just to, to, to explain this very shortly, Yi in the traditional Chinese internal martial arts means that you use guided imagery to trick your muscles and your body to feel while you practice certain sensations, sometimes as if the opponent is there, sometimes other sensations, or to activate certain bodily systems or to control the meridians. So when you actually come in touch with an opponent, your body and your structure have the correct feeling of how to interact with him. So it creates, even without an opponent present in your training, 
the right feeling and the right structure and the, the right connection to the earth, etc., etc., and the right energetic flow. And this is very important because if people move their hands and feet about in the air without the correct yi, without the correct intention, then their practice is empty. And then it's not as effective being translated from empty-handed practice to practicing with a partner or against an opponent. So what you're doing with your mind has a lot to do with the training. Definitely. Definitely. It's very yeah. important. It's, it's, a, it's a bit... Um, it's a bit distance from the, the topic of Dianmai and, and the points and everything, but we might get to that at another time. Let's get into some of the points. Are there any major points that you're looking at to use in a martial sort of way? Okay, so like I said, there are three different uses in the martial arts. You might use the points to guide or align movement. That is, especially when you teach someone you want to align their body correctly. So you use the points as reference for either yourself or for them to help them align themselves better. And there is the use of points for healing and the use of points for uh, martial usage. So I think it's easier if we begin with alignment. That gives us an introduction to, to the main points being used. Uh, what, what do you think? You know, yeah, I I think that's a great idea, and, and I'm I'm chuckling over here on the inside because I remember my Taiji teacher in Beijing, who would describe certain ways of how I would like move my hand, and he'd go, "Oh yeah, well it comes up through, you know," and he would he would put his finger on small intestine three. He goes, "It comes, you know, bring your attention here, and and it comes, you know, it comes up like this." And before I thought I was just like, you know, raising my hand in a certain way. But then when I put my attention on, the energy comes up and through small intestine three. Oh, definitely. The oh, the whole arm, the whole channel is involved in the movement now. I'm not just floating my hand up. The whole thing moves as a integrated part of a whole. Well, traditional Chinese martial arts are accurate down to the millimeter. And people are, are very surprised when I teach them. They might practice with a partner and they're incapable of moving their partner even an inch. Okay. So you change students' fingers alignment by maybe an inch or two. Suddenly their partner goes flying and they're amazed. How can they move them with such ease? What happened? Well, this often has to do with tendons and connective tissues because when you have proper alignment, then your kinetic energy and your chi can flow much better. But if you are misaligned often by just one or two inches, that makes a whole lot of a difference. Also, the concept of uh, opening and closing in Chinese martial arts, this is a big mm -hmm. concept. Kaiho. Yeah, yeah, kaiho. You should distinguish and differentiate between being open and closed, which are used for different things. Most, most commonly... You close down to pull your opponent towards you and you open to push them back. So if your fingers close in, if your fingers or elbows or wrists close towards the center of your body, then that tends to pull the opponent towards you. And if they open, then it does the opposite. So that makes a big difference. And, and points are used as reference for that as well. And I think you've been very lucky to have a Taiji teacher like that. Because uh, I've heard that uh, a very famous Taiji teacher, Wang Paisheng, who is already deceased, is the head of a very uh, famous lineage of traditional Chinese martial arts, Wang Paisheng. 
And, and he used to teach like that. He used to tell his students, you know, this point would go to this point. And he would just name the points. He wouldn't tell them where to move their hands or feet, just the points. Yeah, yeah. It was really, it was eye-opening to me. Well, body and mind opening, really. And, uh, you know, grateful that I'd studied the Chinese medicine because all he had to do was touch the point or name it. And, and everything, all the experience I had with that point or that meridian would suddenly come into the room and be brought to bear. It was, it was quite extraordinary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, well, it's like what Kongzi said, Confucius. I hear and I forget. I see and I remember. I do and I understand. Yeah, yeah. Exactly that. So I think it's very, I mean, it's great hearing you talk about how when considering the martial uses of points, the very first thing you're doing is learning how to align yourself, learning how to come into some kind of coherence with yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so let's talk about that, really. Um, so I would say the four most important points in traditional Chinese martial arts by far are the baihui, the huiyin, the dantian, and the mingman. So baihui and huiyin, uh, of course, at the top of the governing vessel and the conception vessel, and you use these points as reference for erecting the spine. So what you do and you tell your students to do is you pressure the baihui up as fiercely as you can, even if you feel that it's a bit overt. Still, you, you should use pressure and that erects the spine whilst sucking in the huiyin. So you suck it in the way uh, I, the, the imagery I use for students, I always tell them, imagine you have a vacuum cleaner at, against your hand and it kind of sucks in. So now imagine that vacuum cleaner within your belly and its mouth is the huiyin. So the huiyin pulls up, the baihui uh, pressures, pressures up and then that erects the spine. So uh, but the, the huiyin, what it does, it encourages the body to undergo posterior pelvic tilt. So when you tilt your pelvis backwards and that it straightens the lower part of the spine, up to the middle of the spine and it opens the mingman. So uh, the, the reason I, I, I want to say earlier that I tell them to fiercely press the baihui is that most people have some form of neck misalignment. And because of that, even when they are misaligned, they feel that their neck is straight because they're used to the feeling of how their neck is in daily life. Right. I've seen people all the time. They come into my clinic. One of the first things I do, I just have them stand and I want to look at them and I want to see how they hold their body because they might think they're straight or their shoulders are straight or their hips are straight. Often not the case, but yeah, you're, you're right. We, what we get used to becomes normal. Yeah, so your concept of straight becomes dis distorted and disoriented. And mm -hmm. to correct that, you use the points for reference. Another traditional uh, thought on Baihui is to imagine yourself suspended from the air like a piece of clove hanging, like mm -hmm. being hung from a clothing hanger from the Baihui. So at the same time, you're pressing it up, but you're also being hung from above. And that what it does is it straightens the spine 
and then it opens the gaps between the vertebrae. Ah, right. So people that have degenerative disc disease or stenosis, this kind of a practice could help take some of that pressure off. Yeah, that's very helpful. And, and that's prevalent. It's throughout traditional Chinese martial arts and Qigong. It's just very common instruction. It's very useful. Some teachers and people say, um, imagine that you have a book atop your head or either even put a book upon their head for, for just a while for them to get used to the sensation. That we, we said four points is Bai Hui, Hui, mm-hmm. Dantian, and Mingman. So Dantian, of course, we found Dantian, there there is no energetic practice. I mean, the traditional Chinese martial arts and Qigong just simply do not work if you do not breathe down to your Dantian. Now, of course, if if we were to consider this anatomically, you cannot lower your breath to the Dantian. It's an oxymoron. It cannot be done. What what's being done is you are filling up your lungs to their fullest capacity, and then you pressure the diaphragm down to fill them up some more, and then all of this pressure feels as if you lowered your breath into the dantian. And this and and, and it doesn't make sense anatomically if you were to explain to a doctor where the dantian is, a Western medicine doctor, and you tell him breathe there. They'd say it doesn't make sense. Well, of course it doesn't make sense. It it makes sense in the context of trying to make you get the right feeling. It's it's not meant to be anatomically correct. It's meant to evoke the right kind of practice. And together with breathing to the dantian and um, and expanding it, you're told to open the mingman, and to open the mingman you need to straighter to straighten even more the the lower spine and there's actually a feeling of opening in that area so the dantian expands the whole belly cavity expands like a bowl and then you can farther stretch the spine and that spot and it's interesting the mingman is in the middle of what's called the thoracolumbar fascia and that's the piece of connective tissue the thoracolumbar fascia which connects the latissimus dorsi with the gluteus maximus. So that's actually your main power hub in your body. If we were to imagine, you know, we, as, human, we are not, as humans, we are now bipedal. But if we were standing on all fours, then the Mingman would have been just the main power hub of the body. It's through that point that all kinetic power is transferred through the, the rear legs to, to the front hands, you know. And, and back. And if we can, and this is the thinking with traditional Chinese martial arts, if we can go back to that more primordial state of kinetic power transference, which the apes still use, and the um, quadrupedal, uh, quad, how, how would you say that word? <laughs> the quadruple, uh, the, the animals that walk on force, gather. <laughs> Quadruped. Quadrupeds use, yeah. Yeah, so like I'm thinking of like watching a cheetah run, you know, those super fast cats, mm-hmm. you know, and, and and you watch how their spines move and you, and you look where their power comes from. Yeah, and the spine moves like a wave. Yes. And the, re- and the rear and the rear legs put in the power, and that power travels as a wave, escalating in in their own mingman and travels to their front legs. 
so they can recycle that power in 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 a kinetic wave form, which you do in traditional Chinese martial arts. So without these four things, the the bai hui, the huin, the dantian, and the mingman, you really can't have any so-called internal practice in the, either in the Chinese martial arts or qigong. And together with that is the touching of the tongue at the roof of the mouth. Mm-hmm. Now, what it does, it does two things. First of all, in terms of uh, Western science and medicine, if you erect the spine, you breathe to the dantian, and you put you place your tongue at the roof of the mouth, then you activate the parasympathetic nervous system, the rest and digest part of the nervous system. Now, how does it do that? Good question. I'm not sure what the mechanism is. I, I just know that it works. I can make it work on myself and easily teach it to others. So patients that are anxious and they're in a, like a hypersympathetic mode, just get them to connect up the microcosmic orbit and they're already on their way to settling down. Oh, yeah. Actually, you can take them their fingers and help them place their own fingers on their on their dantian. should be their own fingers. I've had some some bad experiences with touching people's dantian. If, it, if it's mo- most men are OK with it, sometimes they're not. But with women, that can be a disaster. So you place their own fingers on their dantian and you make them press the fingers a bit inward so they can feel their, their dantian, dantian pushing if they breathe through that area correctly. And then you place them on a very straight, erect chair. Preferably they would sit on the floor, but you have to use chairs because most people have difficulty sitting on the floor these days. And then you gently tuck in their chin and pr- help mm-hmm. them press their baihui. And you very gently help them remain in that position. Tell them to hold their tongue at the roof of the mouth and you have to explain to them where it is because they often don't know where the roof of the mouth is. And if you can keep them in that state for as, as little as five minutes, breathing deeply, their whole emotional and mental state changes dramatically. Hello, everyone. Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical, and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of Yang, the primal reservoir of Yang, which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel clearing impedance in the free flow of yang chi to body, mind, and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at Ann Cecil Sturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. I've seen something very much like this, something that just, it came out of my practice. I don't, maybe it's some of the Qigong practice I've done in the past, but at a certain point when patients would come in, they'd be very agitated or anxious. 
I'd say, you know, there's, there's actually a very easy way. Oh, and especially if they say, I feel like I can't get a deep breath. I say, oh, there's a very easy way to work with this, right? Because if you're saying to yourself, I need a deep breath, you're probably not going to get a deep breath because your mental process is already offline. So what I, what I teach them to do, very similar. And they can actually do it anywhere. They can do it sitting. They could do it in their car at a stoplight. I just say, take one of your two hands, if you have one handy, put it on your lower belly, just under your belly button, and simply breathe so that your breath makes the hand float up in your belly. Just, just do that. Just use your physiology. Don't even use your thought. Just use your physiology. Pay attention to your breath going into your belly, going into your hand. And it, it has very similar effect. They do that for a minute and they're already in a different place. Yeah, that's great. And you see, even yeah. without straightening the spine completely, even sometimes without touching the, the tongue at the roof of the mouth, just deep breathing can do it on its own. It just made more effective if they can do the rest of the practice. Yeah, yeah. So, we, so we've got the big four here, which I think most acupuncturists are already pretty familiar with. We know that this, you know, this sort of constitutes the, the, the parameters north, south, east, and west of a human body. Oh, definitely. So the girdle meridian and, and the governing vessel and the conception vessel. Yep. There's your structure. Mm-hmm. So uh, other points which are important, not as important, but pretty important, are the laogong and Yongchuen, uh, which are the parallel points on the palms and the feet. Uh, now, these are used to elicit the right type of tendon activation. So the, instruct, the traditional instruction for these points, once more, both the Laogong and Yongchuen, is to suck them in gently, like you'd suck the Huiyin, and what this does is it stretches the tendons throughout the body. If you have these four points, it's like a tent being pulled on four sides. And the sheet of the tent are the body's connective tissues being connected by the top, which is the Mingman, and being inflated from the inside by the Dantian. And maybe we could say even that the, 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 um, how should I say, the rods holding the tent are the, the Baihui and the Huiyin to an extent. We have some other things which I'll name momentarily. So these are very important. And then you have the Hagu, uh, which is also called the Huho, right? The tiger's yeah, mouth. Yeah, the tiger's mouth. That's what they call it in Taiwan. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's called this for good reason. Actually, I suspect that the, the other name, tiger's mouth, came from the martial arts because that area between your index finger and your thumb is commonly used to choke someone or to strike someone. So a tiger's mouth in, in Chinese folklore and language is a slang for a dangerous place. Why is this a dangerous place? Because you use it to choke someone, all right? It makes a whole lot of sense, that, that name, hoko. And you need to round that area of hoko. And while, by doing that, by rounding the area between your index finger and your thumb, you're actually, to some extent, activating hagul, right? You're stretching the, the area of that point. It's, again, like a minor tent. Imagine if the two rods holding the tent are your index finger and your thumb, then maybe the top of the tent is the hagul, 
Well, I can feel it. I mean, we're having this conversation. I'm sitting here going, okay, looking at my hand, round that. Oh, that feels really different. Yeah, it really stretches that point. So that that's a good reference point. So because it's right there in the middle, in the, you you stretch that point, you stretch the hook hole correctly. And okay, so we also have uh, another point we can use for reference, uh, which is the Yaman, uh, which is do 15 uh, at the back of the neck. Now it's used to help with the Bai Hui and Hui Yin because if you pressure, if you press that point to the back, straight to the back, the Yaman, then you erect the ferratic spine better. So what do you mean by press it? Or you mean just like take your attention at that point and sort of push it outward? Yeah, push it back as if you were leaning against the wall and you're trying to have that point touch the wall. Yeah. Oh, it does, it, it does change how your neck feels, doesn't it? Mm, it does, it does, definitely. Okay, and then uh, we have the Jungfu and Yunman, which are Lang 1 and Lang 2. Now, what does the, the Lang Meridian have to do with all of this? It's not so much the Meridian in that case, but it's that that area of Lang 1 and Lang 2, it needs to be concave and flaccid, like a plastic bag semi-filled with water. So it's, it's a very interesting feeling. How can you make your, your chest and deltoid muscles feel like, on, on the, at the front, feel like they're a plastic bag semi-filled with water? Well, you need to have utmost relaxation. That's, that's one thing. But you also need to do something else. You need to abduct your scapulae. So that means rounding the upper back. You abduct the scapulae. And then you press the elbows forward very gently whilst keeping the, the chest relaxed. And now after you have abducted your scapula, you took them sideways and to the front, and you rounded the upper back, and you pressured the, you press the elbows forward. You can take one hand and touch the opposite side of the chest and the, the frontal deltoid, and you can feel them, and they should feel like a semi-filled water bag. Again, this is so different than saying, take your arm and hold it in this position. Oh, yeah, very right. different. I mean, we're, we're looking at each other because the software that we're using to record this lets us see each other so I can see what you're doing. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, hold your hand, hold your arm in this position. But it's very different than saying, bring your attention in this way to this place. Oh, my attention goes there. Make it feel like that. Automatically, my elbow and my hand start to move in space in a certain mm -hmm. way. If you say things like abduct your scapula, I'm like, how do I do that? I don't even know how to do that consciously but when you say make it feel like this oh i feel the scapula naturally moving in a certain way this is why the chinese have have had have come up with other images to help this too they would say okay imagine you're trying to hug a big tree so if you're trying to hug a big tree you have to round your back and concave your chest round the back concave the chest and this this is what is meant is meant by now, um, and then we, we have um, three other points that I want to mention in terms of alignment, which, is, which are very interesting. Uh, the Wei Yang, the Wei Jung, and the Yin Gu, which are bladder 39, bladder 39, bladder 40, and kidney 10. Now, these points, bladder 39, bladder 40, and kidney 10, are perfectly aligned on a flat line right next to each other behind the knee. Now, why are these points important? 
These correspond with three tendons at the back of the knee, and they are associated with what we call rooting in the martial arts. Now, this is a so-called so close-guarded secret. You know, there's so many things going on with rooting. People sell how to root DVDs. They sell how to root seminars. There are books about it. But it's actually quite simple. It comes from correct alignment. The, the notion of how to study this alignment, how to manifest it, that's the complex part. But the, the explanations are not complex at all. So part of the rooting process First of all, what is meant by rooting? I mean, practitioners of traditional Chinese medicine are listening. They're not necessarily martial artists. The concept of rooting in traditional Chinese martial arts is that you are connected to the floor in a way that you are hard to move if you don't want to move, that if someone presses against you or even strikes you, then your rooting, your connectedness allows the, the body to transfer that power into the earth rather than being stuck inside the body also called the ground path, having a ground path. It's like ground path for electricity. When the lightning, lightning strikes a building and it goes straight to the ground rather than starting a fire or something like that. So part of what um, creates rooting in these internal martial arts is to be able to stretch the tendons that correlate with Wei Yang, that's bladder 39, Wei Zhong, bladder 40, and yin wu, that's kidney 10. So if you place your fingers on each of these points, then you, you can feel, of course, that there are tendons right beneath them. And then what you're trying to do, if you are trying to root well, part of what you're doing is you're trying to, while you're standing, to stretch each of these tendons. So you should have three different tendons stretching. Of course, these, these are the tendons connecting the gastrocnemius muscles with the hamstrings. So they allow the springy, the springy power of the foot and, and shin tendons and the back of the shin from the, your feet and the, your gastrocnemius, that power to, tran to transfer well to the hamstrings or through the hamstrings from above back to the ground. So this is a little bit like putting your tongue up to the roof of your mouth. You're, you're connecting, you're really connecting something up that allows a larger system to flow. Yes and no. It, it is an energetic connection. When you place your tongue at the roof of the mouth, usually it's, it's just held there very gently. You might press it harder if you strike something. And that helps mm. you um, brace all of your muscles and connective tissues for the strike. Is another something that uh, that's not often told, but it's common knowledge among teachers of uh, traditional Chinese martial arts, of authentic lineages. And then what you do with your tendons from behind your knees, whilst you're standing, you're trying to stretch all three tendons, but you're trying to stretch the tendons without overtly uh, flexing the muscles. So that's very difficult to do. Because if you overtly flex the muscles, you can't move. If we all just flex as hard as we can, we're stuck in place. The idea is you pull out these free tendons so you have connection to the ground, but all the while, because your muscles are not flexed to the max, they shouldn't be even at 30 or 40% capacity, then you're also mobile, you can move freely. So this is a, a, pre a pervading idea in traditional Chinese martial arts that you should, 
train and stretch the tendons more than you do the muscles. This is why there is not such a great emphasis on the development of muscles, but rather than of tendons. And, you know, the Chinese have this thinking that um, tendons are more important than muscles for power. You know, they often point out that at the cow, you know, they say, oh, the cow has huge muscles, but look how weak it is as compared to a human for its size. I mean, a human can grab a bull sometimes by the horns and he can move him around and the bull is huge. So how can it be done? It's because the bull relative to his muscular size is not so strong. Now, some other animals like a cat are, can be smaller than a human, but a cat can overcome a human. Sometimes a human cannot get, grab a hold of a strong cat because the cat has very powerful tendons. So thus far, we, we have spoken of alignment. And, and now we can get to uh, martial usage of the points, which I'm sure uh, many listeners were eager for us to get to. All the 18-year-old guys. Oh, yeah. The 15-year-olds. I mean, I get <laughs> <laughs> I get all of these 12 and 15-year-olds. They see me at the park. Oh, can you, can you paralyze someone if you touch them? I want to learn that. Teach me that trick. <laughs> so <laughs> let's see why it's it's a bit more complex than that. So first of all, even though the, the verb dian to dot is used to to speak of dian mai, it's not just dotting or striking. You can also kind of uh, squeeze or pressure or pinch or push or scrape. There are all sorts of ways to manipulate acupuncture points as we do with Twena as opposed to, to using acupuncture, of course. If we can even use herbs to get to the points. So all sorts of different ways. Uh, but to, to actually make a point do something significant, you need to know many things. First of all, you need to know eight different things. First of all, you need to know the location of a given point. Then you need the meridian associated with the point. Then you need to know the relationship that point has with other points. And also you need to know the time of day which, in which this meridian is most active. And like we know from uh, traditional Chinese medicine, it's not crucial or essential most of the time to use acupuncture or herbs at the exact time of day where, where and when the organ is, is most active. But to cause the, cause the most damage, martially speaking, that would be best. So you need to know that, and you need to know the angle at which the point needs to be struck or manipulated, and you need to know the depth at which the point has to be struck or manipulated, because like with needles, there are different depths to different points. And you need to know the type of power required to strike a certain point, because different types of powers are used in martial arts. And you need to know the type of striking surface. It's like the type of needle best suitable for striking the point. So there are so many things you need to know. It's almost ridiculous that you'd be able, in the midst of combat, in the heat of combat, to strike anyone, to hit, to hit something and to, to cause an effect. And to be frank, most of the time, these points are being manipulated and cause damage by accident. It just happens. And most commonly, it happens in other sports. Believe it or not, it happens in soccer, in basketball, in, in hockey, especially ice hockey, of course, where they just happen to strike each other on certain points and suddenly there is severe injury or there's a heart attack or there is a concussion and the medical doctors don't really know how the hell that happened. Well, 
I should tell you that uh, sometimes it happens because a very specific point or point combination happened to be struck by chance on a very specific time of day in a specific angle with the right type of surface. And every year across the world, people get seriously injured and even sometimes die because of these things. Well, and I suspect too, if, if you're a skilled martial artist and you know where the points are and you know how to interact with them and you're up against somebody who is not so skilled, it's probably a lot easier to get in and strike where you want to strike no, for maximum not necessarily. effect. You, you'd not, be necessarily. not necessarily. No, because um, oftentimes martial artists are more predictable. But someone who is very wild and maybe has only fought in bars all his life and maybe he's drunk or under the influence of drugs, these mm. people are often the most dangerous people. And they tend to kill more people than martial artists, of course. So, um, but go going back on, on the subject here, so it's very difficult, but there are ways to do it. And I'll, I'll get to how it's trained and how it's done in the martial arts, re despite the fact that you need to know all of these things. Just um, something, two things I want to mention before we get to that. So generally speaking, for good Dianmai to take place for, for a very major effect, usually more than one point is targeted. Uh, I'm going to discuss a multitude of points today with, with the interview, but I'm not going to discuss the point combinations. And uh, I just want to mention also before we get to the points themselves, that the, um, there are some meridians which are most frequently targeted, which are just preferred by martial artists all over. And these happen to be the Renmai, uh, the conception vessel, simply because it's very easy to locate on anyone's anatomy. It's just right mm -hmm. there in the middle. And, you know, many of these points, most of these points will cause some damage, oftentimes very serious damage. And then we have the, the second favorite is stomach meridian, which is easy to access and it crosses the nipples. And because of it, you have the nipples as a reference point and it's an easy reference point on the body. And it's the front of the body so you can get to it. And generally speaking, hitting the stomach meridian well will cause all sorts of problems. And then we have the liver meridian. Um, with two specific points, liver 13 and 14, which are quite popular. We'll get to that later. Now, I should say, in the past, part of the reason that people died from being struck badly on certain meridians and acupuncture points was because they couldn't be rushed to the hospital. So they would die from either internal bleeding or some energetic complications or all sorts of things within and minutes to hours to days to weeks from from just being struck. Nowadays, it's say very difficult to kill someone with that sort, that, these sorts of methods unless it's instantaneous because if you can get them to the hospital, most of the time, modern medicine can save them. So once more, I mean, a lot of people say, you know, you can get a gun nowadays. That's true. You know, if someone wants to kill someone else, they can get a gun. But like I said before, if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So once you already studied that sort of thing, you're eager to test it. This is why it's very important to have philosophy and etiquette and morality in the traditional teaching of martial arts. Otherwise, you're giving people the hammer, but you don't give them the instructions for that hammer. And some thoughts about how they're going to use that hammer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So how do we find these points and means combat? Um, 
on sort of ways. One way is to practice with live op live pr partners. We have practices like Tuisho, pushing hands, and Rosho, that's rolling hands in in the Chinese arts, and it's like a semi grappling, semi striking form of practice, and it can turn into sparring match. It can it can just remain very friendly, but nonetheless, you can use that opportunity to touch all the points whilst you're working with your live partner. So you get used to being moved by someone and moving someone, and once in a while, you touch this or that point. So it helps you find these points on the human body, and that teaches you, well, of course, you need to know where the points are, and you need to intend to do so. Otherwise, you, you'd never find them. Uh, another method is that you can have the martial art move in a way that leads you to the points. And this is very wise and sophisticated manner of practice in my Juklum Sovereign Mantis system. The movements are intended so you naturally lead yourself to your own points or the opponent's points. Oftentimes you touch your own points in practice as you move. And in that way, you learn where the points are on yourself, and then you know where they are on an opponent. That helps you a lot. Of course, the best way to, is to just be a practitioner of traditional Chinese medicine. That would significantly help you to, to know where the points are and to feel them, but you do need to feel them on a live partner or opponent. And then um, sometimes uh, we also take advantage of some points which are just right next to each other. So um, some, some examples. Uh, are Changqi, Sibai, and Zhuliao, which are stomach one, two, three. With stomach one, two, three are just below the eyes. And these are very easily accessed points because you can target the eyeball. And if you miss and you hit lower, then you probably hit one of these points. And also because they're in the, a direct line below the eyeball, they're very easy to find and they can be scraped. So you don't just, usually you'd, you'd hit the, the striking surface for these points, would usually be the fingers, uh, several fingers are held together, what's called the knife hand or ox tongue hand, they call it oftentimes in Chinese martial arts. And you can use it to just poke with the fingers in the direction of these points, or you can scrape from above to below, and scraping would also work for these points quite well. So when you say scraping, are you referring to like using your fingernails to scrape? Yeah, in a motion like um, painting a wall from up to down, S scraping vertically. Yeah, not, not clawing, but rather holding mm. your palm sideways and scraping vertically with your fingers to get held together. Um, other points which are close by and, and make an easier target are Tiao Ko, Xia Zhu Shu, and Feng Long which are stomach 38 to 40 on the shins because these points are so in such close proximity to each other's stomach 38 stomach 39 stomach 40 then if you kick that area you'd probably hit one of them if not three of them together so they are more easily accessed and it, it's a very rare rare coincidence for three points to be in such close proximity with such easy access for striking In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. 
In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five element and six chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jing well points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of qi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. I want to go back for just a second to the stomach one, two, and three and the scraping. Because mm-hmm. I'm thinking, well, why wouldn't she just punch them there? What, what, what does scraping do that it has a martial affect? It's interesting. The points react differently to a different type of power and to a different type of surface and depth, etc. So you don't get the same effect from striking these with just a fist as opposed to stabbing them directly, or better yet, scraping them. Why exactly, I cannot tell you, but I, I can tell you that, well, you can prove it easily. You, you can just pick your favorite victim and just very gently, very gently touch their face with a fist, just hit them very, very gently, or scrape them, or just poke them, and you'd see very different effects. Uh, a, a point... What do you notice? Well, one hurts like hell, and one hurts, but they, they can take it. You know, if you, if you punch there, unless you break the nose or you break the eye socket, doesn't have the same effect. Also, psychologically, scraping someone like that, especially if you go across the eye first, this, this is very disheartening. It feels like you're being haunted by an animal. This is something I tell my students often. If someone takes you to the ground and you're not good at ground grappling and you can afford to do so, bite them if you bite them they feel like they're being hunted by an animal this freaks people out they most people would immediately stand up if if not to run but they, they would let you go because biting someone it, unless especially around the face or neck area or in, or in their private parts that or or their belly that freaks people out like nothing else so i mean evolutionarily speaking some things just freak us out and, and that sort of scraping, it, it does its job, I'm telling you. But let me give you some, some other examples. We also have the Jungfu and Yunman, which are lung one and two, which we already mentioned before. These are very good targets. And interestingly enough, these you'd hit with either your open palm or an empty fist. It's interesting. The, an empty, if you try to hit lung one and lung two, especially lung one, with a closed fist, as opposed to a semi-hollow fist, an empty fist, has a very different effect. Why exactly? I'm not sure, but it works much better. So you need to know the striking surface. But I mean, it, what I'm saying here, people can just take it and use it because you need an entire martial art and you need the right type of power and to develop this power takes years and years, etc. You know, 
it's very complex. You can't just pick it up from an interview. But for those in the know, that might give them some ideas. Well, I'm thinking as an acupuncturist here, thinking about lung one and two, and if in some way you can go in there, because again, we're, we're talking about the power of the meridians. We're talking about how tendons have more power than muscle. If you can go in and disrupt their breathing function in a way, that is going to power them down. And, and as you were talking about with the scraping across the stomach points, I would think it would kind of freak people out a bit, right? At a psychoemotive level, something's been disrupted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you what, the difference between, there are two, two areas that, that take the wind out of your sails. One is lung one and two, and the other being liver 13. Um, so Jungman, liver 13, but they both take the, the wind out of your sails, but in very different ways. So you hit the lung, what you get is the person, you know, they, they can't, they can't get the, the breathing to work right. As opposed to liver 13, what happens is if it's a blunt strike, then it pressures the diaphragm up. It causes the, all of the oxygen to, to come out your body and you make this sound. <gasps> like you're choking. And once that happens, the body rushes the oxygen out of all your muscles. And oftentimes when people are struck in the liver like that, they just fall on their knees or they fall to the ground because they don't have enough oxygen suddenly in their leg muscles to hold themselves standing. It's, it very often happens in boxing. And with blunt striking, that can rupture the liver sometimes, which, of course, traditionally, historically, that had been lethal. Nowadays, you can save a person if, if they have a ruptured liver. You can rush them to their emergency room. But... If you deliver a serious vibrating strike as opposed to a blunt strike to liver 13, right timing, right time of day perhaps, right angle, it needs to be diagonally towards the center of the body, then you can actually make their liver explode. And in, interestingly enough, the liver is the only or physical organ in the human body which explodes. I've never heard of an exploding liver. This is the first time. Other than other than a metaphoric idea of somebody being incredibly liver chi constrained, it splatters like a water balloon splattering on the floor. That kind of explosion, not not the the one that takes a building down, but um, yeah, that that can be a very serious injury. But it's a very difficult type of power to develop, you know. Um, okay, so um, we also have let's see, we have. Taiyang. Taiyang is very popular in the martial arts. Oh, it belongs to a group here I, I have written down. There are four points which are very um, inducive of concussions and loss of consciousness. Taiyang being one of them. Naturally, you know, at the temples, everybody knows that. You don't have to practice traditional Chinese martial arts to know that. Then you have Kong, which is triple warmer uh, 23. Um, as a very interesting mechanism to how you hit it. Um, people tend to look in the direction that their arms go. So if you push their arms sideways, especially at the elbow, they tend to turn their heads sideways. And when they turn their head sideways, it's exactly that area of Kong that is exposed. And another interesting fact here is that you have to strike it diagonally from top to bottom. Yeah, I've tried this many a time with students. 
if you strike them diagonally from bottom to top, it hurts, but nothing happens. But if you strike Sejukong diagonally from top to bottom, that really shakes up your brain. You can uh, easily fracture the eyebrow ridge, of course, but it can also cause a concussion and loss of consciousness. Then we have uh, Yintang, uh, which, of course, is a no-brainer, <laughs> literally, for causing concussions and, um, and loss of consciousness, but it's very difficult to hit. To hit the Yintang, you'd normally be using uh, a phoenix eye fist with one the, the index finger knuckle being the only one protruding, a very common met method of striking in traditional Chinese martial arts, as opposed to Sijiu Kong, which you usually strike with an open palm, usually held sideways. And then the fourth point that's used to induce concussion or loss of consciousness would be Renying, which is stomach nine. All, <laughs> it's all-time favorite. It's just all martial arts go for stomach nine. And you can hit it in all manner of ways, actually. A fist, fingers, um, a kick. Uh, every, a lot of things tend to work, but the fingers work best. And what happens with stomach nine is very interesting. If you strike that point really, really hard, then the body senses that the blood supply to the brain is cut off momentarily, just for a fraction of a second. But that's enough for the brain to decide that you're probably experiencing serious physical trauma and it puts you to sleep as a defense mechanism. So, Because if you fall down, then all the blood tends to flow back to your head. It's much easier for the blood to just naturally, this is why, this is our fainting mechanism. That's partly why it's there. So if you strike stomach nine hard, then people faint. And this is the origin of the infamous karate chop, the karate chop to the side of the neck, which works, you know, it really does work. Well, in Star Trek with Mr. Spock, you know, sort of the same area, right? <laughs> yeah. So this, this point is quite famous. This is where you, you'd be aiming. And you can do it, yes, with a sideways held palm, uh, with the palm facing upward, but better, better yet with the fingers in all sorts of angles, it, it's made possible. Uh, so these four points, Taiyang, Sejukong, Yintang, and Renying, uh, these are very good for concussion or loss of consciousness. Then a few other points I have here. We have Chuepan, uh, which is middle of clavicle, if you hit, it's very easy to locate because it's right there in the middle of the clavicle. You break the clavicle, well, the opponent wouldn't be able to move the, that side of his, upper side of his body. If it's a good break and it breaks into several shards, sometimes one of these smaller shards can slowly, gradually travel across the body and it can actually puncture the heart. So historically, uh, that oftentimes killed people. And if you do this to someone, then they can't basically train martial arts anymore. Either clavicle or both, you break for them, very bad. You'd use the, the base of the palm, the side of the palm, or you'd use the back fist, that just as closed fist snapping with the back, sometimes with one or two knuckles protruding. That's very easy to break a clavicle with. We have Rugan, which is stomach 18, under the nipple. Uh, it can break, break ribs and cause additional energetic damage. Um, right. Not to mention puncture a lung. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it's very difficult to puncture a lung, of course, unless you, you have really, really high skills, you know, uh, with your finger, it, because it's struck with the fingers. So it, it's quite challenging. 
but it, it has a very interesting method for getting to it. Uh, we have a natural inclination as human beings to hold our elbows attached to our bodies, elbows attached to the torso, and the hand, the arm, the um, uh, parallel to the floor, not perpendicular, parallel to the floor. So put your elbow to, to the side of your torso with arm parallel to the floor. That's a very strong position. If your arm is at that position, you can carry a lot of weight. And people have a natural tendency to go for, for that sort of lever. They're strong there. So it's being used. If someone puts their hand there or you put their hand there or you pull their hand a bit, you can slide your own hand atop their hand with your fingers open and you reach exactly that point. You reach Rugan, stomach 18. There it is. So you so use the anatomical landmarks to try to know where the point is so you can land your strike. Mm -hmm. it's, it's far easier, definitely, because otherwise it is a very difficult point to hit. Then we have um, Xiang Guan and Chu Chuquan which are gallbladder 33 and liver 8. Gallbladder 33 and liver 8, the sides of the knees, these are used to destroy the opponent's uh, foothold. They can also dislocate or break a knee. Usually people kick them um, with the bottom of the feet or the ball of the foot. They can actually be hit and manipulated with the bones at the sides of the feet, just above the feet. What, what's the name of these bones? You're talking about the fibula and the tibia? Yeah, yeah, at, at, the, at the base of the fibula, and the, the fibula and the tibia. Oh, man, I can't remember the names of those. Yeah, but the listeners probably know which bones we're talking about. The, the two protruding spines right above your foot, at the right and the left side of your foot. Right, right down at your ankle. Yeah, right down at your ankle. So these bony spines can actually be used to hit these points, the gallbladder 33 and liver 8. And Wait a minute, are you talking about at the bottom of the foot or, or, or sort of at the knee? No, no, between the knee and the foot, closer to the foot, at the, at the base of the, of the tibia and the fibula bones. So you're saying use these points that are at the far end of the bones, striking those will affect the bones at the other end. Oh, no, no, I'm saying you can use these protruding bones to strike the sides of the knees. Ah, got it. So, so if you, so it's a kick basically, it's except, a kick. You're, except you're using those spinous processes at the lower part of your leg mm -hmm. to deliver the strike. Got it. Yeah. It comes from, in, in my case, from my Jukum Mantis system, it's a very novel use for this part of the body. Liver 13, we already talked about. We have the Chiman, which is liver, liver 14. Uh, which is located either side of the ribcage at the center right or center left of the ribcage. Uh, naturally, you know, striking there can break ribs if you use it for a strike, but you can also use it to manipulate an opponent because this is the, the serratus muscles are right next to these. And what happens is when you push, the, push out one or two or four knuckles of your fist or you use your fingers and you have very, very strong fingers, and you, and you kind of rub that point, you pressure and you rub it at the same time, this causes the serratus muscles to spasm. And what this causes in turn is an inability of the person to close down their ribcage. So it's very difficult for them to, to clinch you, to hold you in a clinch or to hug you or, or to choke you 
if you can strike that area or rub it very fiercely. Now, it doesn't work with all people. I've found that maybe it works for 85, 90% of people. Some people just don't react. They're not sensitive to that area. But most people, if you strike, if you rub that area and press against it, or if you strike it, they immediately open, open up their hands because of that spasm, which that point causes. You know, I'm just thinking if you want to go tickle somebody, you're, that's roughly the area that you're in. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> Three other points that are used for controlling opponents, rather usually for striking them, though you could strike them potentially, are Tianrong, small intestine 17, that's behind the base of the jaw, Yifang, which is triple warmer 17 behind the ear, and Tianliao, which is triple warmer 15 on the backside of the upper trapezius muscles. So small intestine 17, triple warmer 17, and triple warmer 15, you can press these points, usually with your fingers, to manipulate an opponent. It's very easy. If you touch someone at that point and you pressure them just a little, they tend to flinch, they tend to move around, and you can actually use them in the midst of combat to move somebody, to take them out of their own technique, to divert their attention, etc., etc. So these are very commonly used. I'm thinking of kids playing on a playground in elementary school. You come up behind someone, you grab them by the back of the neck in that area, mm -hmm. you pinch a little bit, and yeah, you could just walk them around anywhere. Oh, definitely. And uh, But usually, in, actually, you'd use uh, small intestine 17 from the front, and you'd use, to, use it to manipulate their jaw. And it helps you open their jaw sideways, then you can grab the jaw. And you can actually, if they have hair, or if you can otherwise grab their head and just hold it in place somewhere and you can put your fingers behind the back of their jaw you can actually dislocate the jaw by pulling it wow well we know these points are helpful medicinally and for healing and and i appreciate your overview today on how these are also used martially i'm i'm particularly struck in our conversation today really where we began with you talking about about tian uh Dian, what did you say? Dian, not Dian Shui. Dian Mai. Right. So you're you're Dianing the the Mai, the the channel. This this so encapsulates how we think about acupuncture. It's just it's just a delightful little intersection between the martial and the medicinal. So thank you so much for spending some time today. Thank you for the opportunity. If someone's interested in in my work, I have several books which I have authored. You can look up Research of Martial Arts, Research of Martial Arts, and The Martial Arts Teacher. The Martial Arts Teacher, both are available on Amazon. And you, you can look up my name, Jonathan Bluestein, on YouTube or on Facebook and get in touch with me. I have a lot of interesting, fascinating content about the traditional Chinese martial arts. Great. I'll make sure all of that is on the show notes page. Jonathan, once again, great to hang out and talk with you. It was a pleasure to be on the show. All right, that's it for today's conversation. Hey, if you guys like what you're hearing here, if it's helpful to you, please tell your friends about it. Also, I'm kind of curious. I can look at the download statistics for this podcast, and I see, obviously, there's people in North America that listen to this. There's folks in Australia, Russia, Japan, China. Oh, China, imagine that, China. Thanks, as always, for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, 
share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. Mm -hmm.